0: You're now listening to the Oregon Public Retirement Planning Podcast, where we teach you how to best understand the financial planning strategies unique to a public servant in Oregon. From learning about how the PERS and FPDR pensions work to the investment and tax planning strategies that are within your 457 and IAP, we will show you how to take your planning to the next level. Welcome back, everyone, to the Oregon Public Retirement Planning Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Ryan, and today we're going to be talking about a new topic other than PERS for the first time in this podcast series. The goal of this podcast is to first set our foundation for Oregon Public Servants, which is the PERS pension. For those of you in the city of Portland's police and fire pension, I'm going to also be doing a mini-series on your pension specifically and bringing all of this together. Again, there's so many different benefits and interactions with those benefits. For example, the way that PERS interacts with social security is different than the way that the FPDR pension functions with social security and the way that other pensions like Calsters or Nevada PERS, and there's all these other places that maybe you also came from because a lot of public servants, that didn't necessarily, you know, start in Oregon, for example, and maybe you're starting your career somewhere else. And then you moved here somewhere later down the line. So it's important to know since social security is actually a federal pension that most everyone has, we need to know now, how does it interact with a public servant in the state of Oregon? And if you have pensions from other places, again, like the ones I've mentioned, city of Portland, Calsters, Nevada PERS, and so forth. We need to know how those interact and what questions we should be asking. For example, am I subject to the government pension offset? Well, those are really good questions to ask, right? Am I subject to the windfall elimination provision within social security because I'm a government employee? These are things that we need to understand. And then we need to know, does this impact your social security in particular? So in today's podcast, what we're going to be diving into is how social security functions. And we're going to be peeling back the the onion layers, if you will, as we continue to basically figure out how and when to take social security. What is the best strategy for maybe your family that you can start asking these, these better questions? Now, one of the things that a lot of folks will talk about is... Whether Social Security is even going to be around when I get to retirement. Or maybe I'm close to retirement and I'm thinking, hey, I'm just going to take Social Security while it's there because it might go bankrupt. Okay, I get that. That's fair. I think we need to kind of do some myth busting around this first because there's really no point in me telling you how this Social Security system works if your belief right off the bat is it's going to go belly up. Now, the first thing I want to say is, Social security actually has a surplus. A lot of the government borrowing that we have is actually from the social security administration because they have more money than they're actually spending. We call this the trust, the, the social security trust fund. Uh, to give you an example, Oregon PERS is $28 billion in debt. Social security has a surplus. So if we're going to be scared about which one to be, you know, consider here, it would be PERS, right? So most folks have not really looked at Social Security. They see the headline. And what the headline is basically saying is that the, the trustees' new projection is that the Old Age Survivor and Disability uh, Insurance, which is the OS or OASDI, that, that is the fund within Social Security that pays retirement benefits, their projection is that by the year 2035, and this changes from time to time, but by 2035 approximately, the trust funds will go to zero and we will now have what we would call a negative carry, which just means that a lot of baby boomers are finally getting to that retirement age. So instead of paying into social security, creating the surplus, we're actually draining our Social Security faster than the Gen X and Millennials are paying into it. So now we're finally at the stage in Social Security where we're kind of pulling from the savings account and basically the savings account is going to last for 15 years if we don't make any changes to the current system. Now, that's why people are freaking out, right? But let's understand the history of social security a little bit to know, Hey, have we, have we been here before? Because the answer is actually yes. And, and in fact, a lot worse in the, in the history of social security, it has been a lot worse in the 1980s. If we think back into the 1981, 1982 timeframe, inflation was way out of control. You're talking double digit inflation for a couple decades, basically, And inflation was killing social security because it actually does have a full cost of living adjustment essentially. And there was essentially more coming out of the trust fund than was going into it. So very similar problem. They got to the point, however, where they weren't sure if they were actually going to be able to write the full check to all the social security beneficiaries, which are the people basically in retirement. And they they put all the way up to the last year before they made changes into the social security reform. And some of those big changes, they pushed back the full retirement age. So now it's age 67 instead of 65 and 66. And then they started taxing social security. And they started with a 50% of your social securities taxed. Then in the 1990s, they actually went all the way up to 85% of your social security is being taxed. So I just like to point out a little bit of the history of social security so that when we see these news headlines please always remember that news it gets compensated to to inspire fear, okay? That's what captures people and then they get so freaked out that then they make their decision about when they should take their social security based on a news headline that is frankly misinformed. So I'm not concerned about Social Security going belly up because essentially, just to name a few things that they could change in the next 15 years, they could tax 100% of the Social Security benefit to then create more in in revenue for the, the program. Or they could increase the amount of money that they are putting FICA taxes on. For example, a lot of people don't know this, but they cap out around $140,000 right now. And that changes with inflation each year. But basically another way to say that is if you're making $200,000, not all $200,000 is paying into social security. Only the first 140, if you make a million dollars past that or any number really past 140, you're, you're not paying into social security anymore. So they could easily increase that number and still not change the amount that you're going to get in social security benefits. So there are a lot of things they they could push the younger generation's full retirement age to age sixty eight or or seventy for crying out loud, right? So there are a ton of tools in their back pocket that they could start to pull to keep Social Security solvent. And basically, the rule of thumb is, hey, if you're if you're close, you know, basically, I I think of age fifty five is is kind of the cutoff that I start to feel pretty safe here if you're age 55 and beyond, you're going to be fine. Okay. I'm not really concerned about it because when they've made changes in the past, they grandfather you in and basically say, Hey, you didn't have enough time to change your situation. So we're not going to hold you accountable. We're going to hold the millennials accountable. We're going to change their full retirement age. We're going to increase their taxes and so on and so forth this is very, very normal. Even PERS has done this, for example, to put these all in perspective of things that we've seen. PERS is again, $28 billion in debt. And then they decided to make changes with Senate Bill 1049 to take IAP contributions and then start funding the employee Employee sustainability pension account, the EPSA. So this is what basically you're, you're contributing into paying off PERS's debts okay, they're liabilities. And so Social Security is actually in way better shape than PERS is. (laughs) And nobody's concerned about PERS. So yeah, I I think we're going to be okay. It's also federally backed. So just to give you even more confidence here, Social Security is actually supported by the federal government. And who has control to actually print money? The federal government does. The state of Oregon, for example, they can't just print money to keep PERS solvent. And the city of Portland, same thing, right? But from a federal standpoint, they can always create the money in some capacity, right? Now, does that create inflation and other issues? Yes, but it will keep social security afloat. The last thing I like to point out is there are literally tens of millions of Americans on the social security program. If it went belly up, you would have an economic collapse like you have never seen before. And so if they just let this thing die, um, then then basically everyone is worse for wear. And and I don't think there's a single politician that would want to be in office if they had let this thing go under. It, it's bipartisan. Everybody needs Social Security at this point. It's been around for almost 100 years. And so we just have to understand that this concept of Social Security disappearing in, in a decade or two, it's just misinformed. Again, we've been in way worse wear for social security, even just 40 years ago. And we have sustained it just by making those changes. It allowed us another 50 years of sustained social security. So I just think it's good for us to talk about that before we start making decisions on when you're going to take your social security. Now, again, we're going to talk about social security, kind of peeling back some layers. And in this podcast, this is going to be the kind of the 101 version of how Social Security works as a whole. So as we're talking through this, let's first dive into how do we even calculate Social Security? What are these numbers based on and am I going to get, you know, a benefit that I can calculate easily or not? Well, let's unpack this a little bit. The first thing I want to point out is you have a full retirement age with social security. And that is either age 66 or 67 or somewhere in between. So let's find out first what is my full retirement age. And think of a full retirement age is basically the same concept as PERs what they call the normal retirement age. You know, just again to kind of compare things here a little bit. In PERs they say if you're tier 1, you can retire at age 58. If you don't have your 30 years of service, or if you have 30 years of service, you can retire whenever you want to. That's what PERS considers to be their normal retirement age. Well, social security has a similar concept. It's just called a full retirement age. Now it's going to be somewhere in this age 66 to 67 range. And it's based on when you were born, not your years of service. So just again, unpacking this a little bit, When we look at ages, uh, if you were born in 1943 to 1954, your full retirement age is age 66. Anybody born before then, you're already on Social Security. I guarantee it. So, (laughs) or you just didn't qualify. But essentially, that's if you were born before 1954. Basically, you're age 66, full retirement age if you were born in 1955, it's 66 and two months. Born in 1956, it's age 66 and four months and so on until you get to anyone who was born in 1960 or later, well, your full retirement age is age 67. Now, why does this matter? Well, the concept of the full retirement age is actually how Social Security, we call it the primary insurance amount. This is how they calculate your benefit. Is it when you can start collecting Social Security? Actually, no. You can collect it as soon as age 62 or as late as 70, but we're going to talk about that next. But this full retirement age concept is basically what Social Security deems as you should be able to retire at this age. And again, somewhere between age 66 and age 67 for almost everybody. That being said, the reason that they keep pushing this number back is because as it used to be age 65, okay? So if you were born in 1937 or earlier, you got it at age 65 was your normal retirement age. The reason they're pushing back the full retirement age now to 67, and I would imagine that to continue on. Uh, to be pushed back for, for my generation and so forth is because that is the actual starting calculation number. And then depending on when you take your social security on either side of that, that affects the overall numbers there. So let's, let's start to unpack this a little bit. The way that social security calculates your benefit, I'm not going to go into the heavy details here because it gets convoluted super fast. And again, we're going to start with basically a 101 level course on PERS and Social Security. And as we continue, I'm going to start diving deeper and deeper. But we have to understand these foundational concepts first. The way that Social Security calculates your benefit is basically based on 35 years of work history. So where PERS uses the last three or the highest three years, Social Security uses the highest 35 years. (laughs) So let me put that another way. If you were an educator and you taught for 30 years or even better yet, let's say you're in a firefighting position and you were 25 years because that's the maximum to get to your pension for tier one. You might've had 10 other years where you worked at Jamba Juice or maybe not at all. And so when it comes to social security here, you have worked a full career as a public servant in Oregon at 25 years and at 30 years and social security is going to say, well, you should have been working 35 years. And so you actually have potentially 10 years of zeros or for some folks who, you know, maybe you started working when you were young and you were just doing part-time gigs, it's equivalent to zero, right? Because when we were first starting out as kids, hey, you got paid nothing, right? So if you were a firefighter, just to use that as an example, you might see your social security check considerably less than your counterparts, even though you guys, well, we all worked the same job and we all had the same PERS benefit, but then you look at their work history before their social security, or maybe they continued after retirement and worked part-time to boost the social security earnings. It's important for us to know that even though you've worked a full career in Oregon public service, from a social security standpoint, you might have a lot of zeros or really, really low numbers on your earnings history with social security. So that's important for us to know. Then what social security does is once you turn age 60, they actually essentially inflate the numbers. For example, if you had your you know 30 years of work history and that was from you know 1990 to the year 2020, and that's when you turn age 60, basically what social security is going to do is look back at 1990's salary and it says you earned $20,000 or something. And they say, well, to make it You know, in today's dollars, it's not really twenty thousand, it's fifty thousand in today's dollars. And they do that to all thirty-five years of work history leading up till age sixty. And then at age sixty, they just use the actual dollar amount. So let's say at age sixty, your salary was a hundred thousand dollars to keep your math easy. Well, they're not gonna inflate that number anymore. They're just gonna say that on your earnings history um 100,000 and then it was 102 and then it was 104 and so on and so forth they're they're not going to continue inflating it essentially from social security's perspective they're assuming that you're going to get a cost of living adjustment which is kind of increasing based on inflation anyways so that is how they actually do that cuz a lot of people have that question well daniel my earnings history when i was 30 years ago or 35 years ago uh, I, I was earning nothing in comparison to today, you know, to today's dollars. Well, they're going to do an inflation adjustment for all of the numbers, but once you hit age sixty, then they stop. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the soonest you can take Social Security is actually age sixty-two, but I'm going to come back to this full retirement age concept because essentially what they do is they say, well, if you take it quote early as soon as age sixty-two. Then we're going to reduce your benefit because you're collecting it sooner. So while you get the benefit of getting this check right at 62, it would have been a lot bigger if you had waited till your full retirement age. And it would have been even bigger than that if you had waited all the way till age 70. So let's look at some numbers and see how this math works a little bit. It's about a 25% reduction if you chose to take Social Security. Uh, and your full retirement age was 66. Okay, a 25% reduction to take it at age 62. Now let's put some real numbers to that and see the difference here. If your social security was going to be $2,000 a month at age 66, then taking it at age 62, it's only going to be $1,500 a month. So that's an important number for us to just look at that and say, is that make sense for you? And so we want to understand that in that same concept, if you had waited till age 70 or any time in between, really, it would have continued to increase. So instead of getting $2,000 at age 66, it grows at 8% up until age 70. That's when social security says, you better just take this because we're not going to keep going here. And they say, Hey, instead of taking $2,000, now you're going to get about $2,600. And that's the difference of waiting 8% per year. That's a really good incentive to basically postpone taking your social security. Now, here's the issue as we start to unpack strategies uh, of taking social security, probably more in depth, even in our next episode here, is that social security, while it looks good to delay it till age 70, we need to start looking at the rest of the plan here because most of my clients retire way before age 70. So for, for your decade leading up to that, you've basically used all of your nest egg potentially, you know, your IAP and your 457, you know, 403b, you might've had to use all of your assets to delay your social security till age 70. And then if you pass away at 71, we're toast. Okay, so we need to look at all of these components in your planning, and not just look at your Social Security and say, "Well, it gets so big if I, you know, keep waiting till age seventy or somewhere in between." We, we can't look at that number as its own thing, okay? Especially if we're a spouse, we have spousal benefits, survivor benefits, the whole nest. You know, the, there's everything to go into depth here with Social Security in my mini series, but I just want to get these basic concepts started so that as we, you know, continue to layer on top of this foundation, we better understand how it works. Now, just to go back here to this full retirement age concept, if you are born past nine, uh, 1960, your full retirement age is 67, which means this is 2022. Essentially, that means that if you're 62 right now, that would be you. You were born in 1960, right? So you're near now age 62. Well, the same concepts apply here, except if you don't take it at age 67 and instead you, you take it at 62, it's not a 25% reduction. It's actually a 30% reduction because again, you're farther away from your full retirement age. So that's why this pushing back of the full retirement age is helping sustain social security because they're basically bigger penalties to take it at age 62 this way. So that's how they do that. And instead of growing 8% for four years, you know, age 66 to age 70, you can only grow at 8% for three years. So again, that's why the full retirement age is the center point for how these numbers get calculated as soon as age 62 and as late as age 70. So that is how we really start to unpack how Social Security works at a high level, We want to start unpacking this more and more as we continue with our concepts of social security. There's lots to talk through here because the next one's going to be really focusing in on the strategies as to how we claim social security and break-even analyses and all these other components that we want to have here. But right now, what we need to understand is that social security, it is my belief, it will still be there. It's actually a very, very strong program. It's federally backed. And we need to not be listening to the news because frankly, they're misinforming you. And we need to understand for our own selves that we've been here before. Okay. Again, if you want those examples of when we were in the 1980s, how bad it was, I I really encourage you to go scroll back because a lot of people have told me, I'm just going to claim social security at age 62 simply because I don't think it's going to be there anymore. And I'd rather just get it while it's there well, we don't want to take our benefits out of ignorance and out of fear. Okay. So be empowered here and know that we're still going to have social security. We still want that to be a good foundational piece of your retirement plan. And the other concepts that I really want to hit home here is simply to know your full retirement age. So again, somewhere between 1994 uh, or sorry, 1954 and 1960, you're going to have an age, uh, a full retirement age benefit of somewhere between age 66 and age 67. And so if you are born at age uh, 1960 or beyond, your full retirement age benefit is going to be 67. So I encourage you to all listen to that component again and just find out what your full retirement age benefit is because that is how the rest of this is calculated as far as the penalties, if you will, to take it early or to delay it and the gains that come with that as well. Now, we're going to unpack taking Social Security early and implications of working and rules in, in Social Security because they're different than the working rules for PERS, for example. We're going to unpack all of this you know, within Social Security. There's so much to talk through. But right, right now, those are two main components that I wanted to spend some time better educate you on so that you guys can really start to take your planning to the next level. Before you go, just a quick note from our attorneys. Different types of investments involve a varying degree of risks and there are no assurances that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Estate planning and tax information provided is general in nature, so always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding the specific legal or tax situation. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as complete analysis of the subjects discussed. All expressions of opinion reflect the judgment of the author and presenter as of the date of publication and are subject to change and do not constitute as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor should be consulted before implementing any investment strategy. An advisor does not represent, warranty, or imply that the services or methods of analysis employed by the firm can or will predict the future results, successfully identify market tops and bottoms, or insulate clients from losses due to market corrections or declines. Investments are subject to market risks and potential of loss of principal invested. All investment strategies likewise have the potential for profit or loss past performance is no guarantee of future results, different types of investments involve a varying degree of risk and therefore cannot have an assurance that any investment will be either suitable or profitable for a client portfolio. There are no assurances that any portfolio will match or outperform any particular benchmark.